Chapter 8 of The Man Who Missed It by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 No one disputed the trapper's conclusion, and after a moment of respectful waiting, as if to make sure that the trapper had completed his remarks, the man who had missed it again resumed his narration. But the animation with which he had told his discovery had faded away. The light left his eyes and a sober expression possessed them. The play of features had departed, and his countenance had settled into sadness. His face, as revealed by the firelight, was one to command the respect of the gazer, for it suggested the refinement of thought and of scholarly habits, and at the same time it appealed to one sense of pity, because over it disappointment, like a cloud, had thrown its somber shadow. The three who sat gazing at him felt that in him they had beheld a person who had been the sport of a fickle and cruel fortune, felt that his lot was inscrutable, and that in the wreck of his body, and in the permanent hopelessness in which his spirit was plunged, and perhaps in which it rested, they saw the most pitiable of failures, a failure for which the man himself was not responsible. For by no fault of his did it come, and by no virtue of his, however exerted, could he have been delivered from it. "'It is needless for me,' said the man at length, "'to narrate the countless disappointments of my life. "'It is needless for me to say how many things I have attempted, "'or how many things I have achieved, "'so far as mortal power could achieve them, "'or how many times a power stronger than my own, "'a power outside of myself, "'the power of wicked men,' the power of circumstance and the power of society, which I strove to serve, but which seemed banded against me, has dashed the cup of success when brimming full from my lips. My discoveries have been appropriated by others, and I, who was upheld through the long nights of study and the long days of effort, in which I robbed my body of food that I might have the means to buy the little materials for my experiments, by the hope that I might link my name with scholarly achievements and be remembered among the honored when I was gone, have lived to see the results of my toil and sacrifice appropriated by those who robbed me, and the honors which should have been mine given to other men. I have not only discovered laws and principles and forces of nature that were unknown, but I have made inventions of the greatest value to mankind, by which they have been better clothed and fed and ministered unto in that which makes life happy. Inventions that have been stolen from me by corporations that have built fortunes on the patents they secured from the results of my ingenuity, patents which should be in my name and not theirs, and whose income would have made me rank among the richest of the land. And here I am, after thirty years of ceaseless effort and fifty of life, broken in body, weakened in mind, hopeless in spirit, without friends and without a home, a beggar on your bounty, John Norton, with no companion in life, and no one to mourn me when I die but this dog. And the man looked into the face of the trapper and placed his hand on Lucky's head, who stood with his forefeet on his master's knee, looking with his bright eyes into his countenance. "'You shouldn't feel that way, friend,' said the trapper. "'It is true we haven't consorted long together, "'but we understand each other pretty well, as I conceit. 
and though you have some notions about storms and a few such things that we can't exactly agree on, yet the trail we be both following lies in the same direction, and though I can't offer you a home such as they might in the settlements, yet the cabin is a good un, and while the joints of the logging hold together and the shingles shed water overhead, ye be welcome to stay, and the Lord of mercy will certainly see to it, friend, that we suffer for no comfort and that we come to the edge of the great clear and in peace. You are a noble man, John Norton, answered his guest, and I know that the welcome that you have given the homeless is sincere, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your kindness. Had the men with whom I had dealt possessed your spirit, I should not have been where I am, or as I am. But what is ahead I know not. I feel that the trail, as you call it, is not a long one for me, and that should I accept your hospitality, my presence would not burden it long. I came into the wilderness to die, and out of the wilderness I shall not go, for of cities and men I have seen enough. You're right there, friend, said the trapper. The settlements be certainly no place for a sensible man to live. I've often argued the point with Henry, and I rarely believe the boy in his heart agreed with me, though he would never confess it. He says the wilderness is the place to rest and the settlement's the place to work. And he says a great many things about the good that a man can do in the settlements and the happiness he can have. But the boy is young yet, and you can't expect the young to be wise like their elders. And I feel certain that he'll get around to my way of thinking afore he gets to be of my age. He has a natural taste for the woods, and few be the signs in the earth or the sky that the boy doesn't see. And if you have an eye to see the beauties of nature, and an ear to hear her speech, and a heart to learn her lessons, you can't find any happiness like the happiness that she will give you, especially if your life be honest. The man who had missed it listened with a deference that was habitual to him to the utterance of the trapper. There was a look in his eyes as he gazed into the old man's face, noble and peaceful in its expression as it was, as if he longed to believe what he was hearing, in the hope that, to his stormy life, something of the peace and the happiness of which the old trapper spoke might come. It may be as you say, John Norton, he answered at length. It may be that, if when I left the three graves, I had come to the wilderness and made my companionship with nature, educated my eye to apprehend her beauties, my ear to hear the wisdom of her speech, and open my heart, bereaved as it was, to the consolation of her sweet peace, my life would have been happier, as I have looked at you and seen in yourself the result of the influence of which you tell. I have felt that, though I may have found less, as men call finding, yet I should have missed less. Perhaps I should have been as useful, and beyond doubt I should have been happier." for the happiness that waits on toil is found in its reward, and the peace which follows aspiration is found in its fulfillment. As for reward, I have none, and certain it is that I shall die with all of my plans unfulfilled. But in the life beyond it may be I shall come to whatever reward I am worthy, and in happier circumstances be able to work out the fulfillment of my plans. You spoke said Tom, suddenly joining the conversation, of being cheated out of patents that belonged to you. 
I do not see how they could have cheated you of the fruits of your inventions if you had been on the lookout and ordinarily shrewd. I do not think that I am ordinarily shrewd, said the man who had missed it, at least in protecting myself from the schemes of cunning men. I have studied principles rather than men and the application of principles, and when I had ascertained a new principle and given it practical application in some invention, I was so happy in the thought of what I had done, the triumph I had achieved, the good it would do in the world, that I explained it to anyone that would hear me, and whatever rich man told me he would help me introduce it to the public, I trusted the whole matter to him, not doubting that he would deal honestly with me. I see now my foolishness, continued he, but I am not sure I should do differently if the same things were to be done over again, for man's conduct is the result of his character, and I was born with gifts few have, and with deficiencies too, I rejoice in feeling that few have also. The Bible says, said Magnet, that except ye become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I think the childish confidence and simple honest trust that you have had in people, although they have betrayed it, is to your honor and not to your shame. And if through his trustfulness they have stolen from him his earthly riches, May it not be, John Norton, that our friend here has gained more than he has lost by the manner in which he has lived? And the girl made her appeal to the old trapper with a face that absolutely shone with the hopeful purity of her thought. The old trapper looked into her beautiful face for a moment with an expression on his countenance as if he wished he might agree with her, but was forbidden to do so by the shrewd native sense which was a part of his very constitution. It is very pleasant to hear you talk, Magnet, he responded in a moment. For your voice be sweet and your heart pure, but I don't concede that your ideas be right. Now, I hold that the wilderness is pretty free from vagabonds, considering the number of folks that come in from the settlements every year, but it wouldn't do for a man to leave his traps outside the cabin in plain sight or piled up on the banks of a stream unless he keeps within range and doesn't mind the cost of a charge of powder now and then. I don't mean to say, Magnet, that I would actually shoot a man for stealing a trap, leastwise if it was his first theft and the trap was an olden, but a little powder judiciously burnt and a little lead sent high enough to start a button and ease the waistcoat a little or sort of tickle the flesh, I have found calculated to help a man in his rights and give the vagabonds a healthy idea of a law. Now here's your brother that has studied the law and knows all its ins and outs and the services it was meant to do, as well as I know the ins and outs of the woods and the service that a hound owes to his master. And now I put it to your brother, if it wouldn't have been a good deal better if our friend here had been some more circumspect in its dealing and, and amid other discoveries discovered that was his rights and stood up for him through the thick and thin, and tickled the scamps a little with his lead when they was sneaking around his cabin, pilfering his traps and rummaging a little loosely among his pots and his kettles. I think so decidedly, said the young man. I think the law is made to protect the innocent and the trusting, those that are naturally weak, or too modest and mild to defend themselves without the law's intervention. I think our friend here should have appealed to the law, if he had, he would have found that the law was his friend, and that it would have protected him from the dishonest and the unjust. 
It takes money to go to law, said the man, and those who cheated me were rich and I was poor. That's it, boy, said the trapper, that's it. Our friend has hit the nail square in the head and drove it clean through. And it don't take half an eye to see the hole either. It takes money to go to law. A trapper I met last year down on Grass River told me that he went to law two year afore, and a lively time he had of it for certain. What was the case? said Tom. Well, you see, answered the trapper, he'd been troubled two year by a sneaking thief on one of the lines he had run out, and he kept losing skins, and finally he catched him stealing a mink, catched him in the very act, and he went down to the settlements and complained of him. Well, the sheriff, he got the feller finally, after a month's hunting, and then the trial was put off another month. You see, the judge didn't know anything, and the thief had hired a smart lawyer who could twist the judge right around his little finger. What was the result of the trial? That's just it, said the trapper. There wasn't any result, as you call it. The man told me the thing was put off and put off and put off. You see, he had to go sixty-odd mile every time the trial came on, and every time it come on he had something to pay. And the man swore, and he looked like an honest man, that it cost him the earnings of a year's trapping afore he got through with it, and that outer all the fuss he never got any verdict anyway. The thing sort of fell through, nigh as I could get at it, and no one could tell exactly how. And when the man asked my ideas about it, I told him I thought the thing might have been managed a good deal better than he managed it, that I've had several such cases myself, but had never had any actual trouble managing them, for I never saw a thief I couldn't ambush by the second week of his pilfering, and if you once get your eye on a vagabond when he's actually handling the skins, and you be within range, and your sights be right, why... And the old man straightened himself up, took up a stick, and began to poke the fire. You never have any special difficulty out of that. But, said Tom, laughing, that may be a very efficacious way to deal with thieves up here in the woods, but it won't do down among us in the cities. Our friend couldn't have protected himself and his property as you could yourself and your property, for the ways of the woods, as you say, are different from the ways of the settlements. But he could have appealed to the law. But I had no money, said the man. It don't matter, replied Tom. It don't matter whether you had money or not. If you had a good case, there was money in it, and any lawyer would have taken it up and pushed it through on a percentage and many a lawyer, too, would have done it without a percentage, for there are noble men in the profession who will not stand by and see a poor man robbed of the results of his industry or his genius. I wish you would come with me with one of your cases, and whether it was a thousand or a million that they had cheated you of, they should have paid you every cent of it, and you should have had not merely the honor of the invention, but the money that it earned, too. The man who had missed it listened to the young man with the eagerness of a child, it was evident that he had never thought it possible that he, a poor man, without friends, without knowledge of the law, and, we may add, without knowledge of men, could be protected in his rights. He had evidently pursued his studies and multiplied his inventions as impelled thereto by the irrepressible activity of the powers that were within him, and had yielded to his losses and his disappointments as to things that were inevitable. For a moment he had certainly yielded himself to the impression produced by the earnest confidence of the speaker. 
for his eyes lighted, his face brightened, and the change which hope brings, when it takes the place of despair, flushed his countenance. But in an instant the light faded from his eye. The animation deserted his face, and with his old despondency, and, we might add, with his old weakness too, he turned his face from the young man, and gazing at his dog, said, It is too late now. Even Lucky knows it's too late. It was evident that the dog did not accept the judgment of the master, for he spun himself round like a top, frisked, trotted in front of Tom, and gave a sharp, clear bark. And then he took a swift circle round the cabin, and as he swept back to his master's chair, jumped with such impetuousness between the trapper's feet and the corner of the fireplace that he knocked over the huge iron tongs, which fell rattling noisily on the hearthstone. Hard, said the trapper, laughing. Did you ever see such a dog as that? I'd give the best skin I got to know for certain his cross. I tell you, friend, the dog be wiser than ye in his hopefulness. If you can give the boy any points by which he can get a twist on the vagabonds, I'd certainly give him, and it may be you'd get your money yet. Although what a man who's got a good cabin to live in, an honest companion, and a dog like that, wants of money, I certainly don't see. I wish I had money, said the man. God only knows how I wish I had money. I would like to know how it makes one feel to have once all the money he wants. Money enough so he could have a good house and plenty to eat and drink without worrying where it would come from. Money to buy tools to work with and chemicals to carry on experiments. Money to give the poor and the homeless and those who don't know their parents and haven't friends and no name save such as they picked up in the streets. Money to give away with your right hand and your left, not letting the one know what the other gave. Money to leave behind you that would keep on giving bread to the poor and homes to the homeless, and education to all who crave it when you yourself are in the grave. None but God knows, old trapper, how much I have longed for money, that I might do these things. How often have I thought I had it, and how many times have I been cheated of it? There was something so earnest, so intense, so nobly self-forgetful in his outburst that the three who heard it were profoundly impressed. "'Give the boy points! Give the boy points!' exclaimed the trapper in tones of earnest as he was demanding the signs of the trail when the smoke of battle was round him and there was not a moment to be lost. "'Yes, give the boy points and see if he doesn't get a clamp on them vagabonds. "'That'll make him open their purses as a fish does his mouth when you have him by the gills.' Lord, I'd even most go to the settlements myself if the boy sent me word he'd got a good twist on him. How much do they owe you, friend? There is one corporation, answered the man, that has stolen five of my patents. Three of them it has used for years, and on the strength of those three its whole business is builded. My royalty, had it been honestly paid, couldn't amount to much less than a million. Put it high enough said the trapper. Put it high enough. I ain't certain that I actually get the measurement of your figures, but my advice is that if there's at least a chance of getting it out of them, that you put the figures high enough. If you throw it on a few more at the end, sort of loose-like, I don't concede it would be anything more than the scamps deserve. So my advice is that you put it high enough. I think I have, said the man. It may be that I have put it twice too high, but I know the corporation is worth millions, and its huge fortune is built up on the basis of my patents. What have you to base your claim upon? asked Tom, speaking with the lawyer's acute coolness. 
Have you any original papers, anything to prove that you invented the things patented, or any memoranda of contracts touching the use of the same? I have the facsimile of the original models, answered the man, duly stamped with a date and sworn to, and by my own hand drew the specifications, and the original patterns and the specifications are doubtless in the patent office at Washington. I have memorandas of contracts in their own handwriting, but no formal contract, and no attested signature. Of course, said Tom, speaking with deliberate precision, I cannot pronounce upon so intricate a matter on the moment, but I do not hesitate to say, sir, that if what you have said can be proved in court, you have a good course of action. In a case, it can be brought against a corporation with a fair prospect of success. I will undertake your case, and I shall be greatly disappointed if you do not recover damages to the full extent by any claim that can be shown to a jury to be reasonable and just. Do you think so? said the man, and his face flushed to the very temples. Do you think that I may yet live to have money and to do the things I long to do? May I hope yet to live to enjoy the fruits of my labor, young man? I know you will, said the trapper, and he flourished the tongs he held in his hands in his earnestness. Lord, friend, the scent is a hotten. The boy can run the race with a high nose. If he be made of the right stuff, he'll drive the buck to water in an hour. What say ye, boy, can you get the money? I can't tell for certain, answered Tom, as I have said, but I think our friend has a good case if the facts be as explained, and if I was well, I'd start for the city tomorrow and would bring the action at once. Easy, easy, said the trapper. We know where the game is, but you mustn't start em till you get the position. Position is everything in a hunt, and I dare say it's the same in law. As for your being well, you can just take that as settled. There's everything in feeding, and you won't be here a week afore you'll be eating like a Dutch person. You needn't shake your head, Magnet. I've seen a good many come to the woods thinner than your brother and not half of his spirit. And if he isn't fatter by forty pounds afore the ice breaks up on the rapids, I shall be mightily disappointed. I'll do the feeding, and the boy shall do the lawn. And atween us both, with the help of the Lord, ye shall have your money, every cent of it but I advise you to put the figures high enough. End of chapter 8